I'll review just a little bit. Of course, I can't review much because i got too much else to get into. But we began teaching on Monday about Isaiah 53 and about the great truth, by His stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Isaiah said we are. Peter said we were. And we is. Is that right? If we is, I am. Right? So uh, turn with me again to this 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and let's read this, let's study this today. 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Now we'll begin reading in the first verse, and we'll read uh, a goodly portion of this. He said, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now what do we find out Monday about that? To whom is the arm of the Lord or the power of God or the anointing of God revealed and made manifest? Those that believe the report. Praise God. And we said if you are sad and depressed and fearful and anxious and you hear the good report and you stay sad and anxious and fearful, then that proves you don't believe the report. I mean, if you're, if you're in a terrible situation financially and you hear from God and He says in His Word and says to you by His Spirit, I'm going to supply all your needs, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to go over and not go under. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be above and not beneath. And you stay sad and scared, then you don't believe that. Is that right? If you're attacked with serious physical problems, and you hear the word of the Lord in the, in the book and by the Spirit saying to you, I sent my word and healed you. I've delivered you from your death and destructions. With long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. And then if you stay scared and depressed, what does that prove? You don't believe that. You didn't believe that report. Because if you believe these things, even in the midst of pain, in the midst of a bad situation, it'll put a smile on your face. And you know it may look and feel bad now, but it's got to change. Because he told me this, and he told me the other, and he's faithful, and I believe him. And so it'll make you glad in the midst of the worst situations. Take the frown off your face and put a smile there. Take the tear out of your eye and put a shout in your mouth. If you believe, and if you believe the report, to you, the arm of the Lord, the power of God will be revealed. Verse 2, now this is talking about Jesus. We gave scriptures that prove that this is talking about Jesus. Isaiah is seeing into the Spirit many hundreds of years into the future. And he's seeing Jesus in the Spirit take our place, become our substitute. Bear the punishment and penalties for sin. Take the judgment of it upon him. He, Isaiah is seeing this in the distant future, and he's seeing it in the Spirit. Everybody say, in the Spirit. In the Spirit, in the spirit is what he's seeing. Not, not in the natural. He's seeing in the Spirit. And uh, it says, verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a, out of a dry ground. He has no form to comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now we went into study, 
and, and talked about some definitions, how that this word sorrows and grief, which is also found in verse 4, which is also found in verse 10 in the same chapter, is in many other places in the same King James Bible, same Hebrew words, translated pains instead of sorrows, and sickness or disease instead of grief. And we went into some detail. If you're interested in that, that was uh, previous day's teaching. But it does no injustice to the Scripture. In fact, it's just consistent with other passages being translated. To say it like this, He is a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. We had said that Jesus' death was the equivalent today of one dying in the gas chamber. Or someone dying in the electric chair. Or someone dying from a lethal injection. He did not die uh, from a natural standpoint, from what they could see. It was not an honorable death. It was not a glorious death from what they could see and what they were thinking that looked on. It was the death of the worst kind of criminal. And he was despised. He was rejected. He was mocked. And the Bible says here in verse 4, Surely... Now, what was happening when that was going on? Surely, He has borne our sicknesses. That's that word again there. And He's carried our pains. Again, if that's new to you, do a little Bible study. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed, or as the margin says, by his bruise, or by his bruises. There's healing to us. Let me read that again to you from some other highly regarded translations. The young's literal, and the lesser or leaser, depending on how you pronounce it. Let me read these to you. One says, He is despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And as one hiding the face from him, he is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sicknesses he hath borne, and our pains he hath carried them. And we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. Another one says, But only our diseases did he bear himself. And our pains he carried. Another one says, Surely our diseases he did bear, and our pains he carried. There are other ones that we could look at, but I understand that obviously with these other very literal translations uh, rendering it that way, it must be that meaning of the Hebrew. And like we said, we, we already gave you several instances along that line. But we said this is one of the greatest statements in the Word of God relative to healing provided in our redemption, and that is this, fir this fourth verse, Surely He has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. I want everybody to say that again out loud with me at least three or four times. Think about it. Meditate upon it while you're saying it. And instead of saying our, say my. Because my is part of our. Is that right? Say it with me. Surely... He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Close your eyes and say it. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. 
And again, surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. And again, surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. One more time. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Hallelujah. Now, you know, if you've been attacked with a physical problem, it would do you a world of good just to say that all day long. A lot of people are confused about what faith is. A lot of people think that faith is making a good confession in the morning, saying something one time, and then worrying about the problem the rest of the day. That is not faith. And so many times we need to school ourselves into faith. We need to persuade our hearts before Him. And how does faith come? It comes by hearing. And when you're saying it, are you not hearing it? In fact, you're hearing it on the outside and you're hearing it on the inside. So when your mind is bombarded with thoughts of fear and doubt, when your body is attacked with feelings and pain and symptoms, Keep the Word of God in your mouth. Amen. Keep it continually in your mouth. And that will help keep it on your mind. Amen. And if you keep it on your mind night and day, that will help get it in your heart. Yes. And if you get your heart persuaded, you'll believe what you're saying. Amen. And you'll say it with conviction and expectation. Yes. And it will work for you. Amen. Praise God. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed, or with his bruise we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So we talked about that yesterday, didn't we? Why did he open not his mouth? <laughs> so we could open ours. Glory to God. He took the beating. He took the whipping. He took the scourging. And what we said to you is you could see the soldiers beating him and whipping him outwardly. But what you couldn't see is what verse 10 tells us here. Verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now did you notice it said back there in verse 5, By his stripes, King James says we were healed. Or the margin there literally it says, By his bruise we are healed. And this 10th verse says that who bruised him? The Lord bruised him. And it goes on to say, He has put him to grief. Again, that's that same Hebrew word for sickness. He has put him to sickness. In fact, let me read you, Young's literal translation says, Jehovah has delighted to bruise him. He has made him sick. Well, that's about as plain as you can say it, isn't it? Another translation says, Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him by disease. This is verse 10. Rotherham says, He has laid on him sickness. 
Now that's not something the soldiers did to him. That's something God in judgment did to him. How in the world could it please the Father to do that? Well, we've already talked about it. It could please him because he could see him rising triumphant from the dead over all of it, and he could see that the redemption price would open the door and provide healing for us and provide redemption for us. And Jesus himself could endure it, Hebrews 12 says, because of the joy that was set before him. It was harsh, it was brutal. But like I said to you now, see, Isaiah's not just seeing in the natural. Isaiah's seeing in the spirit. And those disciples and those apostles, and the, well, it was only one of the men there, I understand, but the different women that were there at the cross with him and John the apostle that saw these things and different ones that saw at the, at the trial or the scourging, they could see these soldiers beating him. But what they couldn't see is in the spirit, God was striking him with the cause and the source of every sickness, of every plague, of every disease. He was being smitten of God. We just got through reading these things. Whether you understand it or not, believe the Bible. Now we said that he was beaten and he took the beating naturally and spiritually. The natural beating portrayed and was typical of what was happening in the spirit. And he took it, why? So that you and I wouldn't have to take it. We saw Paul over there in in a wonderful, beautiful example over in the 22nd chapter of Acts. We saw how that they tied him to the post and they're going to beat him. They're going to scourge him much like they did Jesus. But then as they they did begin to do that, he looked around and he said, Is it lawful for you to scourge a, a Roman, a citizen of Rome, uncondemned? And man, they stopped immediately. And the fellow went back to the head man. He said, hey, watch what you're doing to this guy. He's a Roman. And the head guy got up and came to him and he said, hey, are you a Roman? Anybody remember what Paul said? Yay! Yay! (laughs) And the the, the man said, well, it cost me a lot of money to become a citizen. Paul said, yeah, but I was free born. And immediately they untied him. They, they, They left him. They said, sorry, Mr. Paul, we didn't know. We didn't know. Don't say anything about this, please. But now, what if Paul had been silent? What would have happened to him? He'd have been scourged. He'd have been whipped. He'd have been beaten terribly. He'd have suffered terribly. But see, this is typical. See, the devil will try to tie you to the whipping post. He'll try to beat you with sickness and disease. He'll try to beat you with mental oppression and torment and poverty. And if you just stay quiet about it and stay silent about it, well then, it's going to happen. He'll beat you as much as you can take. But Jesus has already taken it. And He didn't open His mouth so that, praise God, we could open our mouths. And so the next time the devil tries to beat you and strike upon you with sickness or disease or oppression, you say, hey, hey, is it lawful for you? To put this on a blood-bought child of God? I've been redeemed from the curse of sickness. Jesus took my penalty. Jesus took this beating. By His stripes, I am free. I am healed. Can you see that? 
I'm just trying to catch those of you that weren't with us up to where we were at today. This I'm still reviewing. It doesn't hurt us to go over things, though, does it? But I read to you several scriptures yesterday, and I saw puzzled looks on your faces as I was doing it, about God smiting. Mm-hmm. Everybody say, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I'm going to get into some detail. Now, how many can listen with open hearts and open ears? How many can take off your religious traditional glasses? Pull out your traditional religious hearing aids? And just see for what it is and hear for what it says. Is that right? Listen to me for a little bit. You know, there are those that oppose divine healing, aren't there? You ever met any of them? And many of them, have you found that many of them believe that they have scriptures that substantiate their doctrinal position, right? And so there are, there are several scriptures that are misunderstood by those who oppose divine healing and those who don't understand the enemy uses these things to rob good people of their faith so that they don't believe and receive. And these, some of these scriptures that I read to you yesterday, I'm going to remind you of them and read some more of them to you today. Then I'm going to explain some things to you. Are some of the ones that the enemy uses. For instance, there are several scriptures in the Word of God that say that God struck this one with a sickness or disease, or God smote this one with a problem. Is that right? Have you read them? If you've read your Bible, you know many, many, many. Let me read a few of them to you. You can jot down the references if you're not familiar. In Deuteronomy 32, 39. Now you don't have to turn to these. I'm going to read them quickly. You just jot them down if you want to. Deuteronomy 32, 39. The Lord said, See now that I, even I, am He, and there's no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. So see, people seize on that and say, When I see it, said God... Wounds, God kills. Listen to another one. 1 Samuel 2.6 1 Samuel 2.6 says the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. Listen to Hosea 6.1 Hosea 6.1 says come let us return to the Lord for He has torn and He will heal us. He has smitten us and He will bind us up. Listen to Job 5.18. Job 5.18. says, For he makes sore and he binds up, he wounds and his hands make whole. Now we've already talked about different situations where it said he smote Nabal and he died. He smote King Jeroboam and he was sick. He smote this one. And places like Deuteronomy 28 where it says if you don't obey uh, the laws, then the Lord will smite you with the pestilence and smite you with the botch of Egypt and the itch that can't be cured and etc., etc. But now what does this mean? How are we to understand this? Now, uh, let, let, me, let me give you this statement. You might want to write it down. There will be a couple of statements that you might want to particularly write down as we say some things. I, I'll say it just like this. Scripture language frequently attributes directly to God what He merely permits. 
I'm going to explain this in some detail. Scripture language, or you could say the language of Scripture, frequently attributes directly to God what He merely permits. I'll say it one more time. Scripture language frequently attributes directly to God what He merely permits. Now those that are Hebrew scholars tell us that there are permissive permissive and causative verbs in the Hebrew that are difficult to bring across completely in the English language. I'm not a scholar. I don't know the ins and outs of those things. And a lot of people that claim to be just looked up a few words in Strong's and Vines and they are by no means a Hebrew scholar. But I'm convinced that you wouldn't have to know Hebrew or Greek if you just read the Bible and listen to the Holy Ghost. You could see some things. For instance, how many remember over in Exodus 12, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 12, we see where uh, God told the Israelites to uh, kill the Passover lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and lentils. And he says, because I will pass through this night and I will smite the firstborn of every uh, Egyptian. I, he, he said it two or three times, I will smite, I will smite, I will smite. But yet, when you get down later on in, the, in this 12th chapter of Exodus here, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and not allow the destroyer to come in unto you. So we see actually what was happening is God was allowing the destroyer to come in and yet He said it like this, I did it. Now can you see this? That the Scripture language is saying, God is saying, I did it, but yet we see through other Scripture that what He said He did, He merely allowed the destroyer to do. Now whether you fully understand that or not, don't throw it away. What we can see, and here's another phrase you might want to write down, is what is happening in Scripture, what is happening is that God passes judgment that allows the destroyer access. And they particularly ought to write that down and think about it. God is, in these passages that we read about, what has happened there, God passed judgment which allowed the destroyer access. Now, the thing that you do need to immediately add, well, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I, I won't say that right now. Let me give you a few scriptures to establish you a little better in this. Why don't you go to Judges, the second chapter. You can turn there with me if you would. Judges, chapter 2. How many believe you get something good today? You may not know where I'm going, but I know where I'm going. And uh, it's good. If you'll hang with me, we'll wind up in a good place. Remember Brother Hagin said one time, years ago, he said uh, he heard a, a, an older minister use this example when he was younger and learning, and, and he shared it with us. He said, uh, bringing a good message is kind of like cutting down a tree in the forest. And he said, uh, you know, a woodsman that, that's skillful at, at felling trees, he'll look at that tree and he will, 
He can lay that tree where He wants it. Now see, if you don't know anything about cutting trees, you just go out there with a saw, and it's liable to fall on you if you don't get out of the way. But somebody that knows how to cut a tree can lay that tree exactly where they want it. If they want it to fall this way, or this way, or this way, or this way, they can make it fall right where they want it. But also, uh, if you have a lot of other little trees around that tree, a lot of times you have to clear them out first. Because if you don't, if you just go cut the tree, it'll fall in these little trees, and it won't even fall to the ground. Amen. It'll just get hung in them. So sometimes you've got to clear out some of these little trees around it before you can lay it where you want it. And sometimes in teaching and preaching, you've got to clear out some of these other trees, you see. And clear up some of these things before you can lay that truth where you want it. But then, when the, if the Holy Ghost is able to lay that truth like He wants it, man, it'll lay down in your heart. Bam! And when it lays there, that's where it'll stay. Glory to God! So uh, we're, clearing, we're clearing up some trees here, so hang with us, all right? Have you found Judges 2 there yet? Now I'm just going to show you one example of this. There are many examples of this. But I want you to see here some language that the Bible uses, and it uses this language repeatedly throughout the Word of God. In Judges 2, verse 14. Judges 2, 14. It says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Now, do you hear that language? What happened? He sold them, or he delivered them into, or turned them over into the hands of their enemies. Then what did their enemies do? Destroyed them. Now, this is judgment. It's what this is. Let me read some other passages to you. Uh, you can just jot these down. Psalms seventy-eight sixty-one. Psalm seventy-eight sixty-one says he delivered his strength into captivity, and he delivered his glory into the enemy's hand. Frequently, you see it says that he delivered Israel into the hand of the Philistines. He delivered them into the hands of the Babylonians. He delivered them into the hands of the Assyrians, and they came and destroyed them. Is that right? Destroyed their city. Destroyed their people. So can you see what, ha what is happening here? So many times it will say the Lord did it. But what actually happened was He passed judgment which allowed the enemy access. Can you see that? But now what must be understood after this is that even though He did pass judgment which allowed the destroyer access, it did not please Him. Nor was it His perfect will. Are you with me? Amen. Turn with me to Lamentations, the third chapter, real quickly. Lamentations 3. Now you might say, well, now, Brother Keith, that's just, you know, that's all in the Old Testament. No, it's not all in the Old Testament. While, while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a couple of New Testament scriptures. I can just quote them to you or read them to you. You're going to Lamentations 3, right? How many remember over in 1 Corinthians 5, 
that the Bible talked about that there was a, a man there that had taken his father's wife and was living in immorality and this and that. And, and Paul said, among other things, he talked about that one being delivered unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a, a New Testament example of an individual being sold into the hands of the enemy? Or turned over into the hands of the enemy? And also, uh, Paul said this over in 1 Timothy 1.20. 1 Timothy 1.20, he talked about two individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he said, I've delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Serious business, isn't it? But now what are we talking about? We're talking about judgment. We're talking about individuals being judged. And when, when individuals are judged, what happens? They are turned over into the hands of the enemy. And then what does the enemy promptly do? Destroy. That's what he's been wanting to do. But now what you notice here in Lamentations 3... Lamentations 3. Notice verse 22 and 23. These are familiar verses, but let's look at them again. He said, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Notice in verse 31. Skip on down to verse 31. He said, For the Lord will not cast off forever. For though He cause grief, yet will He have compassion. According to the multitude of His mercies, for He does not grieve, excuse me, He does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Do you see that 33rd verse now? God does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. Listen to another translation. One translation says it like this, He does not enjoy the affliction of men or causing sorrow. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. God passes judgment that allows the destroyer access, but it does not please Him it is not His will. Do you understand? Amen. In fact, it grieves Him. And any time that He does have to pass judgment that allows the destroyer access, He does not do it willingly. It is not His perfect will. It is not pleasing to Him. Listen to this other verse in one of the prophet's writings. He said this over in Hosea 11.8. You don't have to turn there, but write it down. Hosea 11.8. He said, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver you, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as a boy? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. Now, if you read the whole passage there, he's talking about these other towns that he mentioned had been judged and destroyed. And these Israelites had been so wicked and gotten into so much idol worship and everything and God had warned them and warned them that judgment was coming and then He told them it's coming. But then He said, how can I turn you over to the enemy? How can I sell you into the hands of your destroyers? It grieved Him. Can you see that? 
It grieved him. Somebody said, well, if it grieved him, why would he do it? Because he's the righteous judge of all the earth. I said, because he's the righteous judge of all the earth. Now, you know, people read the Old Testament and they, uh, they get confused because they see, you know, the Bible say God destroying this one, God doing this and God doing that and they come away thinking, hey, God is mean. Boy, God. But now let me ask you a question though. Some people don't look at the whole story. They don't look, I know Brother uh, Mel Piper used to say this. He said, always stay on God's side. That's a good word, isn't it? No matter whether you understand or whether you don't, always stay on God's side and say, well, he must have had a good reason for whatever he did. God's good. Is that right? He's fair. He's just. Because it's true. It's just true. There have been times, personal situations, of things that didn't turn out maybe the way I thought they would or wanted them to, or concerning other people's lives or situations, and the enemy, how many of the enemy is such a liar? Yes. And the enemy wants to uh, put a, a, a shadow on God's character in your mind. He wants to come to you and say, God let you down. God let them down. Why did God let that happen? Why didn't God do this? Why did God do that? And what he wants you to get, get a seed in your thinking, God's not fair. God's not faithful. God's not dependable. You can't really count on him. What he might do. But the devil's a liar, my friend. The devil's a liar. God's never let you down. He's never let anybody down. Other people have let you down. You've let yourself down. But God And people have let God down. But God has never let you or me or anybody down. Never. Never. It's never happened. And it never will. It never will. But there have been situations that I wondered about. And later on as I grew... The Lord showed me some things and I learned some more about these situations and I realized God was more merciful in that situation than I would have ever asked Him to be. But because of my ignorance and lack of knowledge, it might have looked like this or that. But friend, just always come back to this. God is faithful. God is good. God is just and fair. And that alone, that may sound simple to you, but that confidence in His character will get you through some rough places in life. Will get you through some tight spots. God did judge Israel, didn't He? Repeatedly. Sold them into the hands of the Philistines, the Canaanites, the different ones, Babylonians, what have you. But not until after years, years of rebellion and degradation. Years that he sent his prophets to them, warned them. And, and what would they do? They'd kill the prophet. And what did he do? Send them another one. And what'd they do? Kill him. Now, now let me ask you a question now. If you were God, and thank God you're not, but if you were God, and you sent a prophet or two, and they killed your prophet, your chosen prophet. What would you do? What would you do? You'd say, I teach you to kill my prophet. I'll wipe you off the planet. Hmm? Like I said, thank God. You ain't God. Right? 
Now let, let me tell you something more serious. On one occasion, the Lord pled with them through the prophets. They were, you know, of course, you know, he warned them from the beginning. Don't worship idols. Don't get into those things that they're involved in. Worship me. Keep my statutes. Keep my ordinances. They forsook him completely. They plunged up to their eyes in idolatry. They were even burning their children, their babies, in the fire to these false gods, these demons they were worshiping. And he said, God, God said to them through the prophets, those are my children. Those are my babies that you are burning. Now let me ask you a question. How long would you postpone judgment if somebody's burning your babies? Your baby on the altar. And yet God was so merciful. He prolonged and judgment didn't come year after year. But then it finally came because they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't judge their self. So they were judged. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Let's look at that passage of Scripture and think about it. 1 Corinthians 11. Now in 1 Corinthians 11, you know that this passage of Scripture is talking about what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. But down in verse uh, 29, we'll begin reading. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, eateth and drinketh damnation, or the margin says, judgment. Judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause many are weak and what? Sickly. Sickly. Among you, and many sleep. In other words, many have died prematurely. Their bodies are asleep in the grave. Now, there's no such thing as soul sleep. When the Bible uses the word sleep in connection with physical death, it's talking about the body. This physical body is asleep. Why didn't it say just dead, destroyed? Because this body, even though it's in the grave, is going to be resurrected. Hallelujah. So it's not, it's not gone and lost forever. But... You know, the Bible uses the word sleep. There's no such thing as soul sleep or spirit sleep. He's talking about body sleep. Verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned or judged with the world. Now hold on and think about this, what we've already said now. When the Bible says that God smote this one, God struck this one, God did this and that, which had to do with destruction, what do we know is happening? God has passed judgment which allowed the destroyer access. What else do we know about any, any such destruction? It doesn't please God. He doesn't pass judgment willingly. Is that right? It's not His perfect will. It doesn't please Him. And we've been told right here how to keep this judgment from happening. I mean, this is a great word, isn't it? How many want to avoid judgment? Okay, how can I keep from being judged? Judge my brother. 
I think a lot of people must have thought that's what it said because uh, that's what they do. But if you judge your brother, what will happen? You will be judged. Is it good to be judged? Tell me again now, what, what happens when you get judged? Get turned over into the hands of the enemy. That's not good, is it? Very bad. Your enemy wants that to happen. Really bad. But you don't want that to happen. Let me read a New Testament passage of Scripture to you uh, real quickly and, and, and look at this. And think about this. In Matthew 5, don't turn there, but just write it down. Matthew 5, verse 25 and 26. A misunderstood portion by many. But think about it. Matthew 5, 25 and 26. The Lord Jesus said this. He said, Agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver you to the judge, and then the judge deliver you to the officer, and then you be cast into prison. Jesus said, Verily I tell you, in other words, if you wait till that happens, you will not come out till you have paid the uttermost farthing. Or we might say, till you've paid the last dime, last penny. Now, one reason this is confusing is because so many times when we see the word adversary in the Scripture, we immediately think devil. And, of course, so many times that is the case. But would the Lord Jesus be telling you to agree quickly with the devil? No, no. He tells you to resist the devil, not agree with him. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Is he telling you to agree and walk with the devil? No, 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 no. Do you understand that your brother can be your adversary. Do you understand that God can be your adversary? Maybe not. Let me explain. If, if you, you can get at odds with somebody, can't you? And so uh, their, their position is adverse to your position. So in a technical, thing, technical way, you could say they are an adversary to you, and yet they could be your own brother or sister. And yet y'all are at odds with one another. How many know you can get at odds with God? Even though you're born again, child of God, you can get at odds with Him. And how many know who's going to need to change when you get at odds with God? <laughs> Will He ever need to change to, to conform to you? Never, never. If you and He are in disagreement, who's wrong? All the time? All the time. And so if you get at odds with him for some reason, what should you do? What, uh, soon? Agree with him, how? Quickly. Because if you don't, and if you wait, you could be turned over to the judge. And if you wait till you get judged, then it's going to cost you. Can you see this? Tell me again how I can keep from being judged. Judge myself. Is that right? Judge myself. Judge myself. Now, I want to go into some detail talking to you about how you can keep from being judged. Is that a good idea? Is that a good thought? <laughs> so we can keep from being judged. There's a story of an individual that was judged and turned over into the hands of the enemy that's known by everybody that knows anything about the Bible. Can, you, can anybody guess his name? Starts with a J. Job. 
It's amazing how the devil has perverted that story. And now people are so ignorant of it and so confused about it. And how that people don't know anything about it, but they're just sure that I'm just like poor old Job. And, you know, I'm not going to be healed. I've had people tell me in healing school before. But Brother Keith, I, I guess I'm just like, I guess I'm like Job. And I said, well, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. They look at you kind of funny. I said, I said Job got healed, you know. Yeah. Didn't Job get healed? Amen. How is it that people miss the punchline? <laughs> All they get is 42 chapters of pain and strain and suffering, and I guess it's not God's will to heal me. How did they get that? Now, if I had time, I could, I could go, we could go a chapter by chapter study of Job. It, it could take months to do. There's a lot of discourse in there. But I'm going to give you a really condensed version. <clears throat> you know the story. Job was an upright man. Righteous man. Not only that, he was a rich man. Now, the devil hates righteous people. But he really hates rich, righteous people. <laughs> he really hates. Because money in this world is power. Is that right? Job was a man of position. He was a man of social position. And he used that to teach righteousness. And it chafed the devil every day. And uh, the Bible said Job was an upright and perfect man. Don't let that word perfect throw you now. It does not mean the man never made a mistake. You have to do some study on the words to, to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, perfect, really, if you look at a lot of passages, it means wholehearted. Study it. Look at Second Chronicles 16 in different places and you'll see some of the things I'm talking about. Look up the words. It doesn't mean you never made a mistake. I mean, just for one thing, toward the end of the book, Job repented. You remember that? He said, I abhor myself, I repent in dust and ashes. Well, why would the man have to repent if he hadn't missed it? No, Job made mistakes. But he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was good, good testimony in his community. And the Bible said the sons of God came up before the Lord one day and the devil also came. And the Lord asked him, so where'd you come from? And he said, well going up and down in the earth and to and fro in it, Peter tells us the same thing, that the devil goes about to and fro. And we know what Peter told us what he's looking for. What's he looking for? Seeking whom he may devour. Now, there's some real revelation there. Did it say going about devouring whoever he wants to? What? No, no, what's he doing? Seeking, I mean, he's, he's looking, trying to find someone that he may. That he may. So the, the devil's not all he's cracked himself up to be to people. He tries to leave the idea that he is the big, the bad, the ugly devil, and he can just come in and destroy whoever, whenever, however he wants to. He's bad. He's a liar. Amen. Listen to me now. You may not understand this. He's got to get permission. I said he's got to get permission. And I'm going to go into some detail 
as to how this happens and why. I'm talking about how to keep from getting judged. Amen. The Lord said in the King James, Have you considered my servant Job? He knows he's an upright man. There's not one like him all around, etc., etc. And I don't know about you, but I used to read that and I used to think, Lord, how come you even brought him up, you know? <laughs> why did you even have to bring him up? But you know, I was reading that again one day and it was there in the margin of my Bible all along. It said that the Hebrew literally said, instead of saying, have you, have you considered, the Hebrew literally said, have you set your heart on my servant Job? Now that's different, isn't it? I don't know why I hadn't seen that before. He's not dangling Job out there in front of the devil and says, hey, come and get him. Like always, he's ahead of the enemy. He's he just calling him about it. I've noticed that you've set your eye on my man Job. I noticed you've been, you know, you've been trying to get him and what have you. And Job, now listen to me. We see a rare glimpse behind the scenes in the operation of the high court of heaven. The devil went into his operation as the adversary, as the accuser of the brethren. And didn't he do it? He began to accuse Job. Didn't he? Oh, yeah, Job's an upright man, what have you. But I'll tell you why he is. And he began to question Job's commitment and question Job's motivation and question. Is that right? Accuse, accuse, accuse. And many have not understood it. And there's still some mystery surrounding some of these things. And I'm going to tell you before it's over with why. Some things I've understood. He obviously got a case against Job. And the Lord said, Behold, he's in your hand. Now I know that many have said, Well, that's just saying, Look, devil, he's already in your hand. I don't agree with that. If you study the Scriptures and look at other passages, if he was already in his hand, he would have took him. What happened here is Job got judged. And turned over into the hand of the enemy. And the enemy, how many notice, notice what happened immediately? As soon as the judgment was wrought, I mean the enemy made a beeline. Is that right? Stirred up his enemies against him, stirred up a storm. Is that right? So I mean we know who's behind tornadoes, don't we? The Bible tells it's right there. We know who's behind stealing and killing and robbing. You see it right there. Just as clear as you can see it. And yet the Bible said that when that happened, Job did not falsely accuse God. He maintained a proper heart and attitude. He didn't understand some things, but he maintained a proper heart. Then it happened again. We see the scenario again. How that the, the enemy came and uh, the, the Lord said, Well, see, you know, he hadn't rejected me. He hadn't denounced me. And the devil began to accuse again, didn't he? Accuse, accuse, and obviously got some more, got another case against him substantially enough that he got judgment against him concerning his flesh. Now I want you to go back with me to the book of Job and read a couple of verses that are very enlightening. Now can you see why I told you to listen with a real open heart and ears? Because if you're not careful, you have preconceived ideas and you won't hear some things. 
Job, the ninth chapter. Job chapter 9. Are you there? Now notice something that Job said in the midst of this trial. In Job 9 verse 32, Job said, For he is not a man, talking about God, as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us. The margin there says, one that should argue. Or the margin also says, an umpire between us. That might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me. And let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. See, Job, by revelation, is saying that he needed something. What did he say he needed? He said, I need a daysman or an umpire or one that would argue my case. He said, I, I need somebody to plead my case. <laughs> he said, man, I have, I have messed around and got judged here. And I need an attorney for my defense. Is that right? <laughs> Go over to the 16th chapter. Now see, the only way Job would have known this is by revelation. You understand that. He's speaking by the spirit of prophecy in many of these things, you see. Look at the 16th chapter. He said it again. 16.21. 16.21. He said, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleadeth for his neighbor, or the margin says, for his friend. It comes up again. He said, Oh, that, that somebody might plead for a man with God. He, he said, God's not a man like me. He doesn't know what it's like. He said, I need somebody that understands God and somebody that understands me. I need somebody between me and God here. I need some help. I want to ask you today, friend, is there such a one who fully understands God, who fully understands man? Oh, glory to God. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now where He ever lives to make intercession woo, for us. For us. For us. First John 2, 1 and 2. You don't have to turn there, but it says First John 2, 1 and 2. He said, he said, these things are right to you, my little children, that you sin not. But if any man sin, because he knew, you know. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate. Now that word advocate is the same Greek word paraclete. Talking about the Holy Spirit is also called a paraclete. He's our go-between. He's a, now, sometimes when we think about intercession, we think about somebody kneeling down and praying in tongues. A prayer. But intercession is a legal term. How many know that again and again, these things that we're talking about, and if you'll study Romans and study Galatians, it's just full of legal terminology. Condemned is a legal term. Justified is a legal term. You understand? I mean, it's all through that. 
advocate, mediator, all this substitution is legal, 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 legal. God's called the righteous judge of all the earth, and He's responsible for the judgments of all things. And He passes judgments that don't please Him. And He passes judgments that do please Him. But He does what is right. And friend, I want you to understand, He's not going to pervert justice for you or for me or for anybody, no matter how much He loves us. Amen. Now let me give you an example. What if there was a situation where, let's say a man or a woman committed a crime uh, and, and they, they got caught and they're brought before the judge and the judge is sitting... And let's say that it was the judge's child that's brought before him, if they would let that happen. They probably wouldn't, but, but if they did. you got the, the judge looking at his son. What if the son takes the stand and pleads guilty to the crime? What can his father do? If he really loves him, and if he's really just... What can he do? Even though it rips his heart. The boy confessed to the crime. According to the law, he's got to find him guilty. According to the law, he's got to sentence him. If he doesn't find him guilty, if he doesn't sentence him, then he's an unfair judge. He ought not be a judge. And friend, I want you to understand that if we don't judge ourselves and do what God tells us to do to keep from being judged, then He has no option but to find us guilty and judge us, which allows the enemy access to us. Now go with me, if you would, to a very familiar portion of Scripture over in Revelation, real quickly. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I've got a few things yet I need to get to. Revelation, 12th chapter. Are you with me so far? I was wondering a few minutes ago. <laughs> well, come on, let's get the whole thing now. Amen. See the whole thing. Revelation, the twelfth chapter, verse nine. Revelation twelve nine. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power or authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Now, again, that's a legal terminology, isn't it? Testi testify. Friend, whether you realize it or not, you have somebody that's against you, an adversary. And he's continually trying to build a case against you before the throne so as to get you judged, so as to get access to you. Did you hear me? Amen. And he follows you around night and day. He brings thoughts to you. He brings memories to you. He brings feelings to you. He provokes you. And what does he want? What is, it, what is he trying to gather? Evidence. 
Something he can use. Is that right? Something he can use. And his imps will follow you around with tape recorders. And I want you to know that anything you say can and will be used against you in the high court of heaven. You got an adversary. And I'm telling you, he's shrewder and sharper and more cunning than any prosecuting attorney you have ever seen or heard of. I mean, he's been building cases against human beings for century after century now, and he's very proficient at it. He knows what buttons to push. He knows what levers to pull. He knows what to bring to you to get you to talk and to get you to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing so that he's got a case. But I also want you to know that you can't say what Job said. I need somebody to help me. You can't say that because you got somebody. And there has never been an attorney for the defense like this attorney for the defense. But you talk about the best, best lawyers money can buy. It far exceeds this. Far exceeds that, you see. In fact, your attorney and my attorney for the defense has never lost a case. Never. Never. But he's had many that wouldn't work with him. They lost their own case. They wouldn't work with him. I want you to know. Uh, come here, buddy. Pull this chair up to the front right there on the edge and sit down there. When you get in trouble, right there is good. Just have a seat. When you get in trouble, you find yourself beginning to deal with problems you, sh you shouldn't be dealing with. If you listen, your attorney for the defense will come. And he'll say, uh, Now son, the enemy is trying to cause you some problems here. But don't worry about it. You know, he's, he's trying to get you, get, get you in the slammer. He's trying to get you in the gas chamber. He's trying to, you know, kill you with sickness. He's trying to ruin you financially. He's trying, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got it covered. But now, when you take the witness stand, I want you to study this manuscript. And this is all you say. Do you understand? I don't care what he says to you. This is all you say. Now he'll pressure you. He'll talk all he can talk. He'll talk, but I mean keep cool and just say this. That's all you say. Got it? Yeah. Got it. All right. How many of you are on the witness stand every day of your life? Is that right? And the enemy will come. Oh, he's slick. He'll come and he'll say, Now you love the Lord, don't you? Oh yeah, he loves the Lord. Committed to the Lord. Gave his life to the Lord. Loves the Lord. I mean, he's the Lord's blessed him. The Lord's healed him. The Lord's washed him of his sins. The Lord's done so many good things for him. He loves the Lord. And he ought to love the Lord. He ought to love the Lord. 
And he'll go on and on. But he'll say, But isn't it true that the Lord's done so much for you, but how miserably you failed him? Isn't it true that you told him on such and such time that you were going to do such and such? But you didn't know, did you? Did you? Isn't it true? Oh, you you laid there in the bed and you cried and you said, Oh God, I'll serve you. I'll do this and that. And then he asked you to do a little simple thing. and You just couldn't find the time. In fact, remember this, and he'll play a video for you. You say, watch this. <clears throat> and it's a video of you messing up, royal. And you say, you remember this? And he'll play a tape. Bring these thoughts back to you. And you'll say, you want to see it again? And he'll rewind it and make you watch it again. How many of you he'll show you his videos all day long? Is that right? All day long. They're continuous play. Now, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to begin to break. He'll pressure you and pressure you and pressure you until, until he begins to talk about how sorry you are and how you've missed it and how you're this and that until you begin to go, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know I'm just a sorry Christian. I know I messed up so bad, so bad, so bad. He said, he said you're a sorry specimen. And they go, I know, I know, I know. And he said, you deserve to be sick. You deserve to be poor. And they go, I know I do. I know I do. I deserve, I don't deserve the Lord to heal me. I don't deserve God to do anything with me. I know I don't. I know I don't. And he looks up and he says, uh, your honor, I rest my case. <laughs> and your father has no option. You pled guilty. You said you deserved it. Did you hear me? He has no option but to wrap the gavel and say guilty. And then the enemy has access to you. I said anything you say can and will be used against you. He's the accuser of the brethren. But friend, I want you to understand this though. If you'll do what your advocate tells you to, he'll win the case every time. Every time. If you'll just keep cool. What does the Bible say about your sins? Huh? You've confessed your sin. He's forgiven you. Washed away. Is that right? Is that right? Well, are you guilty then? No. No. You're innocent. Are you condemned and unworthy? No. No. Righteous and worthy. Didn't earn it by my works, but I'm made that way by the blood. So do you deserve healing or do you deserve to be whipped with sickness? You you see? Deserve to be punished or deserve to be set free? See, what you've got to do is when the enemy pressures and pressures, and he says, 
He says, see you, you've messed up, you sorry rascal, you. And you just say, I plead innocent. <laughs> innocent to all charges. Innocent. And, and he'll say, you rascal, you, you know you did such and such. You know you said, he said, fine, play this video. And he'll turn it on and it's blank. Washed by the blood. And you just look at him and say, what video? I don't see anything. And you say, listen to this tape. He'll play the tape and it's been erased. By the blood. And you just sit there and say, I told you, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Yeah, but you did it. You said it. You were there. You failed. And you just say, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I plead the blood. I plead innocent. I plead innocent by the blood. And the devil will go on and on and on trying to build a case, but if he can't get you to agree with him, if he can't get anything out of it, eventually the father will say, that's enough. And then your advocate will step forward. And he'll say, Your Honor, my father, this already makes you feel good, you see. I mean, you're thinking, all right, all right. He said, the, uh, the accused, uh, my brother, your son, has testified that he is innocent of all charges, that he deserves no punishment. He deserves no, no sickness, no punishment. His, he, he, he is innocent. And I submit for the court's consideration, Exhibit A. My blood on the mercy seat. And the Bible said that blood is speaking some wonderful things. You know what that blood is saying? Innocent. 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 And the Father will smile and say, the court has accepted that evidence. And then your advocate will say, and you have heard the, the accused, my brother, your son, Testify. Now, now listen. How did how did the, how you win the case? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You have heard him testify. You've heard him testify. Now, now see what what does the Bible tell us in Hebrews three one that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our. What's he got to work with? And Hebrews 4.14 says, We having a great high priest that's passed into the heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our testimony, confession. Say the same thing. How many know you, if you get up and you take the stand and you say, I'm guilty, guilty of sin. How many know, I don't care what kind of lawyer you got, you're done. You are done. Right? But if you stay cool and, and just 
cool. That's right. Stay cool. And, and, and just and just smile and say, I'm innocent. I'm, why, why can you say you're innocent? Because I'm washed by the blood. I'm washed by the blood. He'll say, Your Honor, you have heard him testify that he doesn't deserve to be sick, that by my stripes he's healed. And I present for the court's consideration Exhibit B, the stripes on my back. And the, uh, the father will smile and say, the court has accepted that evidence long ago. And he'll say, I, I, I submit, Your Honor, my father, that all charges against this one be dropped. He's innocent and that no judgment come against him and no access be allowed the destroyer to him. Now see, what's he doing? Interceding. Pleading arch- Is that right? But he's got to, got, to, got to have something to work with though, doesn't he? What is it? Your word of your testimony. And the father will smile and wrap the gavel and say, Innocent. All charges against him are dropped. And the devil will stomp and he can't touch you. He can't touch you. Because he couldn't get a judgment against you. But friend, listen to me. Tomorrow's a new day. And guess who will be around? Prompting you and prodding you and trying to get something out of you to build a case. But what are you going to do? Be cool. Is that right? Confess. Profess. By His stripes I am healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. You've been made innocent. Washed clean. Worthy. See, the devil will try to tell you you're worthy of sickness. You're worthy of destruction. You're worthy of poverty and affliction. But no, God tells you that because you're washed and clean in Him, you're worthy of healing. You're worthy of prosperity. You're worthy because you're innocent. 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 Hallelujah. Oh, thank God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.